Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road, and Chapter 7 of The Return of Tarzan, The Dancing Girl of Sidi Aisa. Tarzan's first mission did not bid fair to be either exciting or vastly important. There was a certain lieutenant of Spahis, whom the government had reason to suspect of improper relations with a great European power. This lieutenant Jernois, who was at present stationed at Sidi Bel Abbes, had recently been attached to the general's staff, where certain information of great military value had come into his possession in the ordinary routine of his duties. It was this information which the government suspected the great power was bartering for with the officer. It was at most but a vague hint dropped by a certain notorious Parisienne in a jealous mood that had caused suspicion to rest upon the lieutenant. But general staffs are jealous of their secrets, and treason so serious a thing that even a hint of it may not be safely neglected. And so it was that Tarzan had come to Algeria in the guise of an American hunter and traveler to keep a close eye upon Lieutenant Jernois. He had looked forward with keen delight to again seeing his beloved Africa, but this northern aspect of it was so different from his tropical jungle home that he might as well have been back in Paris for all the heart thrills of homecoming that he experienced. At Oran he spent a day wandering through the narrow, crooked alleys of the Arab quarter, enjoying the strange new sights. The next day he found him at Sidi Belabes, where he presented his letters of introduction to both civil and military authorities, letters which gave no clue to the real significance of his mission. Tarzan possessed a sufficient command of English to enable him to pass among Arabs and Frenchmen as an American, and that was all that was required of it. When he met an Englishman he spoke French in order that he might not betray himself, but occasionally talked in English to foreigners who understood that tongue, but could not note the slight imperfections of accent and pronunciation that were his. Here he became acquainted with many of the French officers, and soon became a favorite among them. He met Jernois, whom he found to be a taciturn, dyspeptic-looking man of about forty, having little or no social intercourse with his fellows. For a month nothing of moment occurred. Jernois apparently had no visitors, nor did he on his occasional visits to the town hold communication with any who might even by the wildest flight of imagination be construed into secret agents of a foreign power. Tarzan was beginning to hope that, after all, the rumor might have been false, when suddenly Jernois was ordered to boo Saida in the Petite Sahara far to the south. A company of Spahis and three officers were to relieve another company already stationed there. Fortunately, one of the officers, Captain Girard, had become an excellent friend of Tarzan's, and so when the ape-man suggested that he should embrace the opportunity of accompanying him to Bou Saida, where he expected to find hunting, it caused not the slightest suspicion. At Boira the detachment detrained, and the balance of the journey was made in the saddle. As Tarzan was dickering at Boira for a mount, he caught a brief glimpse of a man in European clothes eyeing him from the doorway of a native coffee-house, but as Tarzan looked, the man turned and entered the little, low-ceilinged mud hut, and but for a haunting impression that there had been something familiar about the face or figure of that fellow, Tarzan gave the matter no further thought. The march to Omal was fatiguing to Tarzan, whose equestrian experiences hitherto had been confined to the course of riding lessons in a Parisian academy, and so it was that he quickly sought the comforts of a bed in the Hotel Grossat while the officers and troops took up their quarters at the military post. Although Tarzan was called early the following morning, the company of Spahis was on the march before he had finished his breakfast. He was hurrying through his meal that the soldiers might not get too far in advance of him when he glanced through the door connecting the dining room with the bar. 
To his surprise, he saw Jernois standing there in conversation with the very stranger he had seen in the coffee-house at Boyer the day previous. He could not be mistaken, for there was the same strangely familiar attitude and figure, though the man's back was toward him. As his eyes lingered on the two, Jernois looked up and caught the intent expression on Tarzan's face. The stranger was talking in a low whisper at the time, but the French officer immediately interrupted him, and the two at once turned away and passed out of the range of Tarzan's vision. This was the first suspicious occurrence that Tarzan had ever witnessed in connection with Jernois's actions, but he was positive that the men had left the barroom solely because Jernois had caught Tarzan's eye upon them. Then there was the persistent impression of familiarity about the stranger, to further augment the ape-man's belief that here at length was something which would bear watching. A moment later Tarzan entered the barroom, but the men had left, nor did he see them in the street beyond, although he found a pretext to ride to various shops before he set out after the column which had now considerable start on him. He did not overtake them until he reached Sidi Aisa shortly after noon, where the soldiers had halted for an hour's rest. Here he found Jernois with the column, but there was no sign of the stranger. It was market day at Sidi Aisa, and the numberless caravans of camels coming here from the desert, and the crowds of bickering Arabs in the marketplace, filled Tarzan with the consuming desire to remain for a day that he might see more of these sons of the desert. Thus it was that the company of Spahis marched on that afternoon toward Bao Saida without him. He spent the hours until dark wandering about the market in company with a youthful Arab, one Abdul, who had been recommended to him by the innkeeper as a trustworthy servant and interpreter. Here Tarzan purchased a better mount than the one he had selected at Boira, and, entering into conversation with the stately Arab to whom the animal had belonged, learned that the seller was Kadur ben Sadin, sheik of a desert tribe far south of Jelfa. Through Abdul, Tarzan invited his new acquaintance to dine with him. As the three were making their way through the crowds of marketers, camels, donkeys, and horses that filled the marketplace with a confusing babble of sounds, Abdul plucked at Tarzan's sleeve. "'Look, master, behind us!' And he turned, pointing at a figure which disappeared behind a camel as Tarzan turned. "'He has been following us about all afternoon,' continued Abdul. "'I caught only a glimpse of an Arab in a dark blue barnoose and white turban,' replied Tarzan. "'Is he who you mean?' "'Yes, I suspected him because he seems a stranger here, "'without other business than following us, "'which is not the way of the Arab who is honest, "'and also because he keeps the lower part of his face hidden, "'only his eyes showing. "'He must be a bad man, "'or he would have honest business of his own to occupy his time.' "'He is on the wrong scent, then, Abdul,' replied Tarzan, "'for no one here can have any grievance against me. "'This is my first visit to your country, and no one knows me. He will soon discover his error, and cease to follow us. "'Unless he is bent on robbery,' returned Abdul. "'Then all we can do is wait until he is ready to try his hand upon us,' laughed Tarzan, "'and I warrant that he will get his belly full of robbing now that we are prepared for him.' And so he dismissed the subject from his mind, though he was destined to recall it before many hours through a most unlooked-for occurrence. Kadur ben Sadin, having dined well, prepared to take leave of his host, with dignified protestations of friendship, he invited Tarzan to visit him in his wild domain, where the antelope, the stag, the boar, the panther, and the lion might still be found in sufficient numbers to tempt an ardent huntsman. On his departure, the ape-man, with Abdul, wandered into the streets of Sidi Aisa, 
where he was soon attracted by the wild din of sound coming from the open doorway of one of the numerous cafés moors. It was after eight, and the dancing was in full swing as Tarzan entered. The room was filled to repletion with Arabs. All were smoking and drinking their thick, hot coffee. Tarzan and Abdul found seats near the center of the room, though the terrific noise produced by the musicians upon their Arab drums and pipes would have rendered a seat farther from them more acceptable to the quiet, loving ape-man. A rather good-looking Oled Nail was dancing, and, perceiving Tarzan's European clothes, and scenting a generous gratuity, she threw her silken handkerchief upon his shoulder to be rewarded with a franc. When her place upon the floor had been taken by another, the bright-eyed Abdul saw her in conversation with two Arabs at the far side of the room, near a side door that led upon an inner court, around the gallery of which were the rooms occupied by the girls who danced in this café. At first he thought nothing of the matter, but presently he noticed from the corner of his eye one of the men nod in their direction, and the girl turned and shoot a furtive glance at Tarzan. Then the Arabs melted through the doorway into the darkness of the court. When it came again the girl's turn to dance, she hovered close to Tarzan, and for the ape-man alone were his sweetest smiles. Many an ugly scowl was cast upon the tall European by swarthy, dark-eyed sons of the desert, but neither smiles nor scowls produced any outwardly visible effect upon him. Again the girl cast her handkerchief upon his shoulder, and again she was rewarded with a frank piece. As she was sticking it upon her forehead, after the custom of her kind, she bent low toward Tarzan, whispering a quick word in his ear. "'There are two without in the court,' she said quickly, in broken French. "'Who would harm, monsieur? "'At first I promised to lure you to them, "'but you have been kind, and I cannot do it. "'Go quickly, before they find that I have failed them. "'I think that they are very bad men.' "'Tarzan thanked the girl, assuring her that he would be careful, "'and having finished her dance, "'she crossed to the little doorway and went out into the court. "'But Tarzan did not leave the café as she had urged. "'For another half-hour nothing unusual occurred.' Then a surly-looking Arab entered the café from the street. He stood near Tarzan, where he deliberately made insulting remarks about the European. But as they were in his native tongue, Tarzan was entirely innocent of their purport, until Abdul took it upon himself to enlighten him. "'This fellow is looking for trouble,' warned Abdul. "'He is not alone. In fact, in case of a disturbance, nearly every man here would be against you. It would be better to leave quietly, master.' "'Ask the fellow what he wants,' commanded Tarzan. "'He says that the dog of a Christian insulted the Uled Nail, who belongs to him. "'He means trouble, monsieur.' "'Tell him that I did not insult his or any other Uled Nail, "'that I wish him to go away and leave me alone, "'that I have no quarrel with him, nor has he any with me.' "'He says,' replied Abdul, after delivering this message to the Arab, "'that besides being a dog yourself that you are the son of one,' "'and that your grandmother was a hyena. "'Incidentally, you are a liar.' "'The attention of those nearby had now been attracted by the altercation, "'and the sneering laughs that followed this torrent of invective "'easily indicated the trend of the sympathies of the majority of the audience. "'Tarzan did not being like laughed at. "'Neither did he relish the terms applied to him by the Arab. "'But he showed no sign of anger as he arose from his seat upon the bench. "'A half-smile played about his lips.' but of a sudden a mighty fist shot into the face of the scowling Arab, and back of that fist were the terrible muscles of the ape-man. At the instant that the man fell, half a dozen fierce plainsmen sprang into the room from where they had apparently been waiting for their cue in the street before the café. 
with cries of kill the unbeliever and down with the dog of a Christian, they made straight for Tarzan. A member of the younger Arabs in the audience sprang to their feet to join in the assault upon the unarmed white man. Tarzan and Abdul were rushed back toward the end of the room by the very force of the numbers opposing them. The young Arab remained loyal to his master and with drawn knife fought at his side. With tremendous blows the ape-man felled all who came within reach of his powerful hands. He fought quietly and without a word. Upon his lips the same half-smile they had worn as he rose to strike down the man who had insulted him. It seemed impossible that either he or Abdul could survive the sea of wicked-looking swords and knives that surrounded them, but the very numbers of their assailants proved the best bulwark for their safety. So closely packed was the howling, cursing mob that no weapon could be wielded to advantage, and none of the Arabs dared use a firearm for fear of wounding one of his own compatriots. Finally, Tarzan succeeded in seizing one of the most persistent of his attackers. With a quick wrench, he disarmed the fellow, and then, holding him before him as a shield, he backed slowly beside Abdul toward the little door which led into the inner courtyard. At the threshold, he paused for an instant, and, lifting the struggling Arab above his head, hurled him, as though from a catapult, full in the faces of his unpressing fellows. Then Tarzan and Abdul stepped into the semi-darkness of the court. The frightened Uled nails were crouching at the tops of the stairs which led to their respective rooms, the only light in the courtyard coming from the sickly candles which each girl had stuck with its own grease to the woodwork of her doorframe, the better to display her charms to those who might happen to traverse the dark enclosure. Scarcely had Tarzan and Abdul emerged from the room ere a revolver spoke close at their backs from the shadows beneath one of the stairways, and as they turned to meet this new antagonist, two muffled figures sprang toward them, firing as they came. Tarzan leaped to meet these two new assailants. The foremost lay, a second later, in the trampled dirt of the court, disarmed and groaning from a broken wrist. Abdul's knife found the vitals of the second in the instant that the fellow's revolver missed fire as he held it to the faithful Arab's forehead. The maddened horde within the café were now rushing out in pursuit of their quarry. The Uled nails had extinguished their candles at a cry from one of their number, and the only light within the yard came feebly from the open and half-blocked door of the café. Tarzan had seized a sword from the man who had fallen before Abdul's knife, and now he stood waiting for the rush of men that was coming in search of them through the darkness. Suddenly he felt a light hand upon his shoulder, from behind, and a woman's voice whispering, "'Quick, monsieur, this way. Follow me.' "'Come, Abdul,' said Tarzan, in a low tone to the youth. "'We can be no worse off elsewhere than we are here.' The woman turned and led them up the narrow stairway that ended at the door of her quarters. Tarzan was close beside her. He saw the gold and silver bracelets upon her bare arms, the strings of gold coin that depended from her hair, and the gorgeous colors of her dress. He saw that she was an Uled nail, and instinctively he knew that she was the same who had whispered the warning in his ear earlier in the evening. As they reached the top of the stairs, they could hear the angry crowd searching the yard beneath. "'Soon they will search here,' whispered the girl. "'They must not find you, for though you fight with the strength of many men, they will kill you in the end. Hasten, hasten. You can drop from the farther window of my room to the street beyond. Before they discover that you are no longer in the court of the buildings, you will be safe within the hotel. But even as she spoke, several men had started up the stairway at the head of which they stood. There was a sudden cry from one of the searchers. They had been discovered. Quickly the crowd rushed for the stairway. The foremost assailant leaped quickly upward, but at the top he met the sudden sword that he had not expected. 
The quarry had been unarmed before. With a cry, the man toppled back upon those behind him. Like ten pins, they rolled down the stairs. The ancient and rickety structure could not withstand the strain of this unwanted weight and jarring. With a creaking and rending of breaking wood, it collapsed beneath the Arabs, leaving Tarzan, Abdul, and the girl alone upon the frail platform at the top. "'Come!' cried Oled Nail. "'They will reach us from another stairway to the room next to mine. We have not a moment to spare.' Just as they were entering this room, Abdul heard and translated a cry from the yard below for several to hasten to the street and cut off the escape from that side. "'We are lost now,' said the girl, simply. "'We?' questioned Tarzan. "'Yes, monsieur,' she responded. "'They will kill me as well. "'Have I not aided you?' "'This put a different aspect on the matter. "'Tarzan had rather been enjoying the excitement "'and danger of the encounter. "'He had not for an instant supposed "'that either Abdul or the girl could suffer "'except through accident, "'and had only retreated just enough "'to keep from being killed himself. "'He had no intention of running away "'until he had seen that he was hopelessly lost "'and was there to remain.' Alone he could have sprung into the midst of that close-packed mob, and, laying about him after the fashion of Numa, the lion, have struck the Arabs with such consternation that escape would have been easy. But now he had to think entirely of these two faithful friends. He crossed to the window which overlooked the street. In a minute there would be enemies below. Already he could hear the mob clambering the stairway to the next quarters. They would be at the door beside him in another instant. He put a foot upon the sill and leaned out but he did not look down. Above him, within arm's reach, was the low roof of the building. He called to the girl. She came and stood beside him. He put a great arm about her and lifted her across his shoulder. "'Wait here until I reach down for you from above,' he said to Abdul. "'In the meantime, shove everything in the room against that door. It may delay them long enough.' Then he stepped to the sill of the narrow window with the girl upon his shoulders. "'Hold tight,' he cautioned her. A moment later he had clambered to the roof above with the ease and dexterity of an ape. Setting the girl down, he leaned far over the roof's edge, calling softly to Abdul. Abdul ran to the window. "'Your hand!' whispered Tarzan. The men in the room beyond were battering at the door. With a sudden crash it fell splintering in, and at the same instant Abdul felt himself lifted like a feather onto the roof above. They were not a moment too soon, for as the men broke into the room which they had just quitted, a dozen more rounded the corner in the street below and came running to a spot beneath the girl's window. We'll return to Chapter 8 right after these sponsor messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, Chapter 8, The Fight in the Desert. As the three squatted upon the roof above the quarters of the Uled Nails, they heard the angry cursing of the Arabs in the room beneath. Abdul translated from time to time to Tarzan. They are berating those in the street below now said Abdul, for permitting us to escape so easily. Those in the street say that we did not come that way, that we are still within the building, and that those above, being too cowardly to attack us, are attempting to deceive them into believing that we have escaped. In a moment they will have fighting of their own to attend to if they continue their brawling. 
Presently those in the building gave up the search and returned to the café. A few remained in the street below, smoking and talking. Tarzan spoke to the girl, thanking her for the sacrifice she had made for him, a total stranger. "'I liked you,' she said, simply. "'You were unlike the others who come to the café. You did not speak coarsely to me. The matter in which you gave me money was not an insult.' "'What shall you do after tonight?' he asked. "'You cannot return to the café. "'Can you even remain with safety in Sidi Aisa?' "'Tomorrow it will be forgotten,' she replied. "'But I should be glad if it might be "'that I need never return to this or another café. "'I have not remained because I wish to. "'I have been a prisoner.' "'A prisoner?' said Tarzan, incredulously. "'A slave would be the better word,' she answered. "'I was stolen in the night from my father's duar "'by a band of marauders. "'They brought me here and sold me to the Arab "'who keeps this café. "'It has been nearly two years now "'since I saw the last of mine own people. "'They are very far to the south. "'They never come to see Diaisa. "'Would you like to return to your people?' "'asked Tarzan. "'Then I shall promise to see you safely "'so far as Bu Saida at least. "'There we can doubtless arrange with the commandant "'to send you the rest of the way.' "'Oh, monsieur!' she cried. How can I ever repay you? You cannot really mean that you will do so much for a poor Ulad Nail, but my father can reward you, and he will, for is he not a great sheik? He is Kadur ben Sadin. Kadur ben Sadin? said Tarzan. Why, Kadur ben Sadin is in Sidi Aisa this very night. He dined with me but a few hours since. My father? Here? cried the amazed girl. Allah be praised then, "'for I am indeed saved.' "'Hush!' cautioned Abdul. "'Listen!' "'From below came the sound of voices, "'quite distinguishable upon the still night air. "'Tarzan could not understand the words, "'but Abdul and the girl translated. "'They have gone now,' said the girl. "'It is you they want, monsieur. "'One of them said that the stranger "'who had offered money for your slain "'lay in the house of Ahmed den Solef "'with a broken wrist.' "'but that he had offered a still greater reward "'if some would lay in wait for you upon the road to Saida "'and kill you. "'It is he who followed Monsieur about the market today,' "'exclaimed Abdul. "'I saw him again within the café, him and another, "'and the two went out into the inner court "'after talking with this girl here. "'It was they who attacked and fired upon us "'as we came out of the café. "'Why do they wish to kill you, Monsieur?' "'I do not know,' replied Tarzan, "'and then, after a pause, Unless, but he did not finish, for the thought that had come to his mind, while it seemed the only reasonable solution of the mystery, appeared at the same time quite improbable. Presently the men in the street went away. The courtyard and the café were deserted. Cautiously Tarzan lowered himself to the sill of the girl's window. The room was empty. He returned to the roof and let Abdul down. Then he lowered the girl to the arms of the waiting Arab. From the window Abdul dropped the short distance to the street below, while Tarzan took the girl in his arms and leaped down as he had done on so many other occasions in his own forest with a burden in his arms. A little cry of alarm was startled from the girl's lips, but Tarzan landed in the street with but an imperceptible jar and lowered her in safety to her feet. She clung to him for a moment. "'How strong monsieur is, and how active!' she cried. "'El Adria, the black lion himself!' "'is not more so.' "'I should like to meet this El Adria of yours,' he said. "'I have heard much about him. "'And if you come to the duar of my father, you shall see him,' said the girl. "'He lives in a spur of the mountains north of us, 
"'and comes down from his lair at night to rob my father's duar. "'With a single blow of his mighty paw he crushes the skull of a bull, "'and woe betide the belated wayfarer who meets El Adria at night. "'Without further mishap they reach the hotel. "'The sleepy landlord objected strenuously to instituting a search for Kadur ben Sedin "'until the following morning, "'but a piece of gold put a different aspect on the matter.' so that a few moments later a servant had started to make the rounds of the lesser native hostelries, where it might be expected that a desert sheik would find congenial associations. Tarzan had felt it necessary to find the girl's father that night, for fear that he might start on his homeward journey too early in the morning to be intercepted. They had waited perhaps half an hour when the messenger returned with Kadur ben Sedin. The old sheik entered the room with a questioning expression upon his proud face. "'Monsieur has done me the honor to—' "'He commenced, and then his eyes fell upon the girl. "'With outstretched arm, he crossed the room to meet her. "'My daughter!' he cried. "'Allah is merciful!' "'And tears dimmed the martial eyes of the old warrior. "'When the story of her abduction and her final rescue "'had been told to Kadur ben Sedin, "'he extended his hand to Tarzan. "'All that is Kadur ben Sedur's is thine, my friend, "'even to his life,' he said, very simply. But Tarzan knew that those were no idle words. It was decided that although three of them would have to ride after practically no sleep, it would be best to make an early start in the morning and attempt to ride all the way to Bu Saida in one day. It would have been comparatively easy for the men, but for the girl it was sure to be a fatiguing journey. She, however, was the most anxious to undertake it, for it seemed to her that she could not quickly enough reach the family and friends from whom she had been separated for two years. It seemed to Tarzan that he had not closed his eyes before he was awakened, and in another hour the party was on its way south toward Bu Saida. For a few miles the road was good, and they made rapid progress, but suddenly it became only a waste of sand, into which the horses sank fetlock deep at nearly every step. In addition to Tarzan, Abdul, the sheik, and his daughter were four of the wild plainsmen of the sheik's tribe who had accompanied him upon the trip to Saidiya Issa. Thus, Seven guns strong, they entertained little fear of attack by day, and if all went well, they should reach Bu Saida before nightfall. A brisk wind enveloped them in the blowing sand of the desert, until Tarzan's lips were parched and cracked. What little he could see of his surrounding country was far from alluring, a vast expanse of rough country, rolling in little barren hillocks, and tufted here and there with clumps of dreary shrub. Far to the south rose the dim lines of the Saharan Atlas Range. How different, thought Tarzan, from the gorgeous Africa of his boyhood. Abdul, always on the alert, looked backward quite as often as he did ahead. At the top of each hillock that they mounted he would draw in his horse, and, turning, scan the country to the rear with utmost care. At last his scrutiny was rewarded. Look, he cried, there are six horsemen behind us. "'Your friends of last evening, no doubt, monsieur,' remarked Kadur ben Sadin dryly to Tarzan. "'No doubt,' replied the ape-man. "'I am sorry that my society should endanger the safety of your journey. "'At the next village I shall remain and question these gentlemen, while you ride on. "'There is no necessity for my being at Bu Saida tonight, "'and less still while you should not ride in peace.' "'Where you stop, we shall stop,' said Kadur ben Sadin. "'Until you are safe with your friends.' "'or the enemy has left your trail. "'We shall remain with you. "'There is nothing more to say.' "'Tarzan nodded his head. 
He was a man of few words, and possibly it was for this reason, as much as any, that Kadur ben Sadin had taken to him, for if there be one thing that an Arab despises, it is a talkative man. All the balance of the day Abdul caught glimpses of the horsemen in the rear. They remained always at about the same distance. During the occasional halts for rest, and at the longer halt at noon, they approached no closer. "'They are waiting for darkness,' said Kadur ben Sadin. And darkness came before they reached Abu Saida. The last glimpse that Abdul had of the grim, white-robed figures that trailed them, just before dusk that made it impossible to distinguish them, had made it apparent that they were rapidly closing up the distance that intervened between them and their intended quarry. He whispered this fact to Tarzan, for he did not wish to alarm the girl. The ape-man drew back beside him. "'You will ride ahead with the others, Abdul,' said Tarzan. "'This is my quarrel. I shall wait at the next convenient spot and interview these fellows.' "'Then Abdul shall wait at thy side,' replied the young Arab. "'Nor would any threats or commands move him from his decision.' "'Very well, then,' replied Tarzan. "'Here is as good a place as we could wish. "'Here are rocks at the top of this hillock. "'We shall remain hidden here "'and give an account of ourselves to these gentlemen when they appear.' "'They drew in their horses and dismounted. "'The others riding ahead were already out of sight in the darkness. "'Beyond them shone the lights of Bu Saida.' Tarzan removed his rifle from its boot and loosened his revolver in its holster. He ordered Abdul to withdraw behind the rocks with the horses, so that they should be shielded from the enemy's bullets, should they fire. The young Arab pretended to do as he was bid, but when he had fastened the two animals securely to a low shrub, he crept back to lie on his belly a few paces behind Tarzan. The ape-man stood erect in the middle of the road, waiting. Nor did he have long to wait. The sound of galloping horses came suddenly out of the darkness below him, and a moment later he discerned the moving blotches of lighter color against the solid background of the night. "'Halt!' he cried. "'Or we fire!' The white figures came to a sudden stop, and for a moment there was silence. Then came the sound of a whispered council, and like ghosts the phantom riders dispersed in all directions. Again the desert lay still about him, yet it was an ominous stillness that foreboded evil. Abdul raised himself to one knee, Tarzan cocked his jungle-trained ears, and presently there came to him the sound of horses walking quietly through the sand to the east of him, to the west, to the north, and to the south. They had been surrounded. Then a shot came from the direction in which he was looking. A bullet whirred through the air above his head, and he fired at the flash of the enemy's gun. Instantly the soundless waste was torn with the quick staccato of guns upon every hand. Abdul and Tarzan fired only at the flashes. They could not yet see their foes. Presently it became evident that the attackers were circling their position, drawing closer and closer in as they began to realize the paltry numbers of the party which opposed them. But one came too close, for Tarzan was accustomed to using his eyes in the darkness of the jungle night, in which there is no more utter darkness this side of the grave, and with a cry of pain a saddle was emptied. "'The odds are evening, Abdul,' said Tarzan, with a low laugh. But they were still far too one-sided.' and when the five remaining horsemen whirled at a signal and charged full upon them, it looked as if there would be a sudden ending of the battle. Both Tarzan and Abdul sprang to the shelter of the rocks that they might keep the enemy in front of them. There was a mad clatter of galloping hooves, a volley of shots from both sides, and the Arabs withdrew to repeat the maneuver, but now there were only four against the two. For a few moments there came no sound from out of the surrounding blackness. Tarzan could not tell whether the Arabs, satisfied with their losses, had given up the fight, 
or were waiting farther along the road to waylay them as they proceeded on toward Busaida. But he was not left long in doubt, for now all from one direction came the sound of a new charge. But scarcely had the first gun spoken ere a dozen shots rang out behind the Arabs. There came the wild shouts of a new party to the controversy, and the pounding of the feet of many horses from down the road to Busaida. The Arabs did not wait to learn the identity of the oncomers. With a parting volley as they dashed by the position which Tarzan and Abdul were holding, they plunged off along the road toward Sidi Aisa. A moment later, Kadur ben Sadin and his men dashed up. The old sheik was much relieved to find that neither Tarzan nor Abdul had received a scratch. Not even had their horses been wounded. They sought out the two men who had fallen before Tarzan's shots, and, finding they were both dead, left them where they lay. "'Why did you not tell me that you contemplated ambushing these fellows?' asked the sheik in a hurt tone. "'We might have had them all if the seven of us had stopped to meet them.' Well, "'Then it would have been useless to stop at all,' replied Tarzan. "'For had we simply ridden on toward Bosaida, they would have been upon us presently, and all could have been engaged. It was to prevent the transfer of my own quarrel to another's shoulders that Abdul and I stopped off to question them. "'Then there is your daughter.' "'I could not be the cause of exposing her needlessly "'to the marksmanship of six men.' "'Kadur ben Sadin shrugged his shoulders. "'He did not relish having been cheated out of a fight. "'The little battle so close to Busaida "'had drawn out a company of soldiers. "'Tarzan and his party met them just outside the town. "'The officer in charge halted them "'to learn the significance of the shots. "'A handful of marauders,' replied Kadur ben Sadin. "'They attacked two of our number who had dropped behind.' "'but when we returned to them the fellows soon disappeared. "'They left two dead. "'None of my party was injured.' "'This seemed to satisfy the officer, "'and after taking the names of the party "'he marched his men on toward the scene of the skirmish "'to bring back the dead men for purposes of identification, "'if possible. Two days later, Kadur ben Sadin, with his daughter and followers, "'rode south through the pass below Bu Saida, "'bound for their home in the far wilderness.' The sheik had urged Tarzan to accompany him, and the girl had added her entreaties to those of her father, but, though he could not explain it to them, Tarzan's duties loomed particularly large after the happenings of the past few days, so that he could not think of leaving his post for an instant, but he did promise to come later if it lay within his power to do so, and they had to content themselves with that assurance. During these two days Tarzan had spent practically all his time with Kadur ben Sadin and his daughter. He was keenly interested in this race of stern and dignified warriors, and embraced the opportunity which their friendship offered to learn what he could of their lives and customs. He even commenced to acquire the rudiments of their language under the pleasant tutorage of the brown-eyed girl. It was with real regret that he saw them depart, and he sat his horse at the opening to the pass as far as which he had accompanied them, gazing after the little party as long as he could catch a glimpse of them. Here were people after his own heart. Their wild, rough lives filled with danger and hardship, appealed to this half-savage man as nothing had appealed to him in the midst of the effeminate civilization of the great cities he had visited. Here was a life that excelled even that of the jungle, for here he might have the society of men, real men whom he could honor and respect, and yet be near to the wild nature that he loved. In his head revolved an idea that when he had completed his mission, he would resign and return to live for the remainder of his life with the tribe of Kadur ben Sadin. Then he turned his horse's head and rode slowly back to Bu Saida. The front of the Hotel du Petit Sahara, where Tarzan stopped in Bu Saida, is taken up with the bar, two dining rooms, and the kitchens. 
Both of the dining rooms open directly off the bar, and one of them is reserved for the use of the officers of the garrison. As you stand in the barroom, you may look into either of the dining rooms if you wish. It was to the bar that Tarzan repaired after speeding Kadur, Ben Sadin, and his party on their way. It was yet early in the morning, for Kadur Ben Sadin had elected to ride far that day, so that it happened that when Tarzan returned there were guests still at breakfast. As his casual glance wandered into the officer's dining room, Tarzan saw something which brought a look of interest to his eyes. Lieutenant Gernois was sitting there, and as Tarzan looked, a white-robed Arab approached, and, bending, whispered a few words into the lieutenant's ear. Then he passed on out of the building through another door. In itself the thing was nothing, but as the man had stooped to speak to the officer, Tarzan had caught sight of something which the accidental parting of the man's burnous had revealed. He carried his left arm in a sling. Join us next week Sunday night for Chapter 9 of The Return of Tarzan. And listeners, if you're using Apple, please do send us a review for 1001 Stories of the Road. We would appreciate that very much. And everyone, please share our show with others. That's the fastest and best way that people find us. We'll be back next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe.